Papa. What a blessing. It's good for us to proclaim that. You know, David says this in Psalm 35, I will give thanks to you in the great assembly among the throngs, I will praise your name. That's what we're doing today. And all over the world, people are doing this. Hey, I've got some good news for you. Want some good news? Really? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and he's at work on the earth and he's performing miracles in our presence. He's the miracle performing God that we worship, that we lift high his name today. And he's continuing. Do you believe he does miracles today? I mean, we can read about them, but is he really, is it happening today? Well, the answer is yes. And uh, we're actually going to be praying, the elders are going to be praying over some people um, at the end of the service, right after the service, who have some physical things. They've asked the elders to come and pray over them and anoint them with oil and ask for healing. And we believe that God still heals people today. He miraculously is working in our presence. He's not hindered because time has gone on. He's not like we was more powerful in the book of John than he is today. I mean, he is more powerful, just as powerful. He is all power and all powerful God. And that's who we serve. Praise the Lord for that. Go ahead and have a seat. And um, I'm really excited to share with you this morning. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, you can get ready. We're going to be in First Thessalonians as we launch into a new time in the Word uh, together in a new book. But can I just say this to get started? Um, have I told you lately how much I love you? Oh, uh, I didn't get that response in the first service. They kind of chuckled in the first service. Um, I'm not setting you up for anything. I really do. I really love you, and I just want to tell you how awesome it is to be um, your pastor. And um, I just want to say I love my church. In fact, I want to shout it from the mountaintops. I love my church. Anybody want to join me in that? I just want to get, somebody just, anybody want to go with me, Rob? You want to go with me? And let's get on the top of Mount Huron in Colorado, and let's just shout at the top of our lungs, I love my church. You want to go with me? Like tomorrow? You want to go tomorrow? Let's just do it. Let's just be wild and crazy and just drive out there, because I don't want to get on an airplane. I love my church. I love you. I love being part of the church of Jesus Christ. I love First Baptist Church, but I love the church of Jesus Christ. And it's such a privilege to be able to be part of it and to serve amongst people like you who have given your whole lives to the ministry. It's, uh, it's just an awesome privilege. I want you to love your church. I think it's healthy you know, who wants to like go to church and like, I don't like my church, but I'm going there anyway. I mean, who does that? And if that's you, you just talk to me. You know, who wants to get to the point where like, I'm, I'm serving Jesus, but I'm serving Jesus because I have to. I mean, we want to serve Jesus because we love his church, right? Amen. And we love the people that he loves. We love the things that God loves because God loves us. And, and so it's a healthy thing for us to love our church. 
I want you to love being part of the body of Christ here at First Baptist, but I hope that you get up every morning and just thank the Lord that he has put you into a body, his body, the church of Jesus Christ, the global universal church of Jesus Christ. We're all over the world today. They're celebrating the risen Savior. They're celebrating a, a, a Savior who is alive and at work. They're celebrating um, all that God is doing in our midst, even though things are crazy right now. We serve a living Savior, and um, that's really good news. I want to declare something else today. I believe that um, we are a faithful, healthy church, don't you? Now, that didn't, wasn't met with the same excitement as the other stuff. Um, do you believe that we're a healthy church, a faithful, healthy church? You know, I do, but I want to, I, I, I believe we are, but how do we know we are? How do we know if we are or we aren't? You know, because not just because I believe it doesn't make it true. You know, I believe we're a healthy church and a faithful church. It doesn't mean we are. So what do we look at? What are the identifiers of a faithful, healthy church? That's what we're going to be talking about today in 1 Thessalonians because that's what Paul talks about. And um, so I wrote some things down here that maybe are these, these maybe are the marks of a faithful, healthy church because this place is full of perfect people and perfect Christians. And we're all doing the work exactly the way God wants us to do it, right? And so once we get everybody to that point, we will be a faithful, healthy church. Is that the mark of a faithful, healthy church? Now the answer is no because we're all broken and we're going to be broken. I just met with a dear woman after the service, the first service. She goes, I, would you pray for me? And I said, yes, I'll pray for you. She goes, I just keep sinning. And I said, sister, join the club. And she goes, really? And I said, yes, I do it all the time. I, that doesn't shock you, right? Of course it doesn't shock you. It doesn't shock Robin to hear that. I mean, I sin all the time. I, we are, we are constant, we're broken people. So is it, we, we, we can be a faithful church when everybody's perfect. No. How about this one? Um, it'll be a faithful church and a healthy church when we all look alike and we act alike and we all wear the same clothes to church. <laughs> tried that, right? <laughs> if you've been around church long enough, you've tried that, you know, as, and as long, it, that works as long as you dress like me right? And uh, as long as you look like me, because I'm setting the standard for righteousness, right? And as long as you keep your hair cut at my level that I want you, not you ladies, but you guys, you know, and as long as you wear dresses and not slack. Do you remember those days? Is that the sign of a faithful, healthy church? As long as you all look right and you act right and you, you, you dress the part. No. How about this one? Um, the true sign of a faithful, healthy church is a church that is busier than any other church in the area. As long as you've got programming going on, where like every single day and every night of the week, you have something offering to the people for the people to get involved in. And every minute of every day, they can come to the church. In fact, they're at the church every time the church doors are open. You remember those days? Ah, we're a faithful family because we're at the church every time the church doors are open. Does that make you a healthy family? No. And it doesn't make you a healthy church either just because you're busier than the people down the street. 
In fact, I want to remind you of something that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We, when we measure ourselves by ourselves and compare ourselves with ourselves, we are what, friends? We are not wise. In fact, you can say that we are fools. And last week we thought we heard we could say we are stupid. That's exactly right. It's stupid to think that, and it's stupid to look at yourselves in that way and identify yourself as a faithful, healthy church based on looking at the church down the street. So we're going to work on that today on how to identify a faithful, healthy church, and we're going to find the answers to that question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, okay? So get your Bibles out and get ready. And um, just let me tell you this, okay, before we get started, this is going to be a different kind of sermon than I'm used to, that I normally preach, and that you normally are used to hearing me preach, okay? There's gonna, sometimes you're going to feel like you're in a seminary class where you're going to be learning some things historically about the Bible. You're going to be think maybe you're in a geography class at some point in this. <laughs> you love that? Do you like that kind of stuff? Yeah, okay, well, good. <laughs> Um, it's hard for me to dive into that kind of stuff because I love diving into the other stuff, but we, it's, it's, it's important for me to set some foundation for you as we move into 1 Thessalonians so that you know who's, who we're talking about, who Paul's talking about, and what that church is all about so that we can apply it to our lives. Deal? You up for that? All right, get your pens ready, sit up straight. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, some of your Bibles may say Silvanus. That's an accurate word description. It's, it's the same person, Silas, Silvanus. Silvanus is the Greek form of his name, which would have been appropriate in this letter because they're writing this to a Greek church, okay? So this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And we're writing to the church in Thessalonica. Hear this now. To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ... So he's writing to believers, may God give you grace and peace. Now this is a newly found church in a place called Thessalonica. Now I've got a map I'm going to put up here. Those of you who are online, you need to forgive me. You're going to see the map, but I'm, I'm using a laser pointer on stage here. You can't see that online, but here's what I want you to understand, to see what you've got going on here. This is Israel down here, okay, and so you've got... Um, you, you've got this area of Greece right here and Mesopotamia, I'm sorry, Macedonia um, right up in here. And Thessalonica, you see it right there? That's called Thessaloniki. That's what it's called today. Thessalonica is right there um, in Macedonia. It was actually, at the time, it was the capital of Macedonia. It was founded by a Greek general who was the brother-in-law of Alexander the Great at the time, whose name was Cassander. Now, Cassander's wife's name, which was the half-sister of Alexander the Great, you following me? Okay, so he's Alexander's general, but he's also his brother-in-law, and his wife's name, does anybody want to take a guess what her, not his, her name was? Thessalonica. And because her name was Thessalonica, he named the city that he founded after her, so that's how they got the name. Now, um, it was a strategic seaport on what was called in the day the Roman Empire's Ignatian Way, which is an ancient trade route connecting the east from the west. Go back to that, that picture, and you see this, this route right here, this red line? 
This is what's called the Ignatian Way that went right through Thessalonica. So they sat on the Ignatian Way. This was a major traveled route that connected the east to the west. And so um, here was, this was a port here of the north of the Aegean Sea. So it was a port city. And so there was a lot of international traffic that was coming in and out of Thessalonica back in the day. In fact, um, it's called Thessalonica today. And this trade route is still used, and it's called the Ignatian Way, or if you'd rather, Highway 24. But that's going on right now over there in Greece. Um, you can still visit that place today and see all that we're going to be reading about. Now, um, you okay so far? All right, got some more history uh, for you on this and some background to the city. Okay, so Thessalonica has been described as an incredibly diverse melting pot of cultures. That's what they called it, a melting pot of cultures because it was filled with sailors, travelers, and immigrants from all over the known world, and it was filled with Greeks. It was filled with Romans because at the time, that whole region was under Roman rule, and it was filled with Jews because all these people were traveling in and out and through Thessalonica to do their business and to do commerce. Now, unfortunately, because of that, and because it wasn't a place where people went and, and, and lived necessarily, there are people that lived there, but it was a port and, and a traveling through place, it was a place um, known for sexual perversion of all kinds. It was a place known for um, prostitution and crime at amazing levels. Um, history will tell you that people that lived there, they used to build their houses without windows because the crime was so high and the murder rate was so out of control that they felt more safe if they didn't have windows in their houses. That's how bad it was. It was a place known for its lasciviousness. If you don't know what that is, you can ask your parents when you get home today. And as a result, um, babies would regularly be, be abandoned on the street. That was their, their modern form of abortion. They would just have their babies and then leave them to die. It was uh, what's called a, they called it a cesspool. And it was into this cesspool that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were called to to share the gospel. I need to share this with you, okay? I, it's, I can't wait to share this with you so that you can see how God works in the lives of his servants so that you can see how he works in your life, okay? So hang with me here for a little bit because um, I wanna show you that Paul and Silas decided to take young Timothy, who is Paul's um, convert to Christianity, to take young Timothy with them on this, what's called this Paul's second missionary journey. And in Acts 16, it describes the journey like this. I'm gonna have it on the screen for you. If you like, you can go to Acts 16, verse six. Paul, Silas, and Timothy traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. So for whatever reason, they're traveling, they're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They're doing what Jesus commanded them to do, but they're on these new missionary journeys to take the gospel there. They wanna take the gospel to Asia, but for some reason, the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, would not allow them to preach in Asia at that time. It was gonna come later on, okay? So verse seven, then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead they went 
on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Go back to this map now. I'm going to show you this map um, so that you can see what's happened. So down here, this is where Judea is and Israel, Jerusalem. You see that? So they went up here. They went into Antioch. They're preaching the gospel. They're wanting to come over into Asia. This is Asia over here. And they're into Asia. And they want to preach the gospel here. But the Holy Spirit says no. So they go up through. And they said, well, let's go take a turn to Bithynia. So they go up here to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says, nope, you're not going there either. And Paul doesn't know what to do. So he just goes over to Troas right here to this port city, and he says, we'll just fi figure it out from there. And that's what's going on right now. They are faithfully trying to do the work that God has called them to do, and the Holy Spirit is directing them. Can you see that happening? All right, so that's where they are. Look at verse 9. So that night, so now they're in Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there and pleading with him in his vision, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So go back to that map, guys. And so here's what we have. So he's in Troas right here. This is where he has the vision on the Macedonian call, it's called. So they hop on a boat. They go to this island right here, which is called Samothrace. And then they go end up here to Neapolis. And you see Philippi right there? They spend some time in Philippi spreading the gospel. Of course, that's where he got put into, thrown into jail and the miraculous breaking out of the jail and the the salvation of the Philippian jailer. And then he goes over here to Thessalonica, right here, and that's where we are. Here's Macedonia. Now, why do I point that out? Because it's cool, I think. It is so cool to see God at work because God intentionally, specifically, and unmistakably called them to one of the most strategically located culturally diverse and spiritually dark wicked cities in the known world at the time. What better place to preach the good news of Jesus Christ than in one of the most strategically located, culturally diverse, spiritually dark wicked cities in the world. Now, how would you respond to that? You know, Jesus, we wanted to go up to Bithynia, but you said no. Is there a reason why you said no? They're nice people up there. It's not as dark. It's not as dark a place. But the Holy Spirit was like, no, I want you to go to this really dark place. I want you to take the good news of the gospel, the light of the gospel, into this darkness, and I want you to shine it. Now, I have to tell you this, okay? I, here's what I need to draw into your heart and to hear into your mind. God is always at work, always has been at work. Jesus said, my father has always been at work and is at work to this day. And he's gonna continue to do his work. And so God is always at work in your life so he can work through your life. Do you understand that? Did you know that before you were even born, God had your days planned out? Now, some of you aren't okay with that. Some of you might be like, you know what? I don't really want to go to Thessalonica. Why would you take me there? That's not a very nice place. Why did you put me in this family that you put me in? I was talking to some guy the other day. He goes, you know what? I go, what? He goes, 
I think I was born in the wrong era. He just doesn't like living in this era. He wants to live in another time. You ever been like that? Why was I born to this family? Why was I born to this part of the world? I mean, why was I born in Elkhart, Indiana? Why wasn't I born in San Diego, California? Except everyone now is trying to move out of there. Did I just say that? Did I just say that out loud? Did that come out out loud? Why am I in this job that I'm in? You know, this isn't what I planned. This isn't what I wanted. Why am I stuck with all these people? They're a bunch of reprobates that I'm working with every day. You know what the answer is? What better place to shine the gospel of Jesus Christ? What better place to be called to to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus? He planned it for you. He's worked just like Paul and Silas and Timothy. The Holy Spirit could have let them go wherever they wanted to go. But he directed them specifically, intentionally to this place, this cesspool, this place of darkness that really needed the light to shine. Because there were some people there that were Thessalonians that were going to start a church there and shine their light for Jesus for the rest of time. There are believers in Thessalonica today because of this work that these men were obedient to that the Lord Jesus called. I want to just challenge you with that. Are you shining where God has planted you? If not, it's time to start. It's time to stop complaining about it and start embracing it because it's specifically, intentionally, what God has for you to give you the opportunity to shine your light the the way that is unique to you, that you're gifted to shine because he chose you for that place. That's what we learn from this part of the story. I'm sure it won't surprise you that Paul and Silas and Timothy's message wasn't received well in that city. And what breaks my heart is it's never received well by the Jews, the people of God. And see, Paul's work, he would go into these foreign cities and these foreign lands and these Gentile lands, but there was always some remnant of Jews there, and there was always a synagogue, and they would go and preach in the synagogue. They would go to other places too, but they would go preach in the synagogue to see if there were any people of peace there. And they would preach the gospel, and so the Jews would always hear, and it was the Jews who before long were trying to run them out of town. In fact, so bad to the, got so bad in Thessalonica The Jews were so upset with Paul's message that they were preaching that the believers there, the new believers said, Paul, you need to leave town. They're coming to kill you. And so Paul had to run for his life. And he wanted to get back. He tried multiple times because you're gonna find as we work down through 1 Thessalonians, you're going to find how much he loved this church and how dear they were to his heart. And he tried to get back and after multiple failed attempts to return, he writes this letter here that we're reading to them with this major theme, okay? So write this theme down somewhere. This is what we're gonna be looking at for the next several weeks. The theme is this, our hope in Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus Christ. More specifically, our hope in the return and the soon return of Jesus Christ. Now here's a working definition we're going to use on hope all the way through, okay? The confident expectation of better days ahead. 
That's what we're gonna be working on. That's the theme of this book, the confident expectation of better days ahead. Check out this video real quick as we launch our new series, Better Days Ahead. Um, do you know what I'm looking at? Do you know what I'm looking at? I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at me either. I'm looking at better days ahead. You guys know what these are? This is a viewfinder, right? Anybody grew up with, willing to admit you're that old? You grew up with one of these? You know, they have these little films that you can plop in. I remember when I was a kid, I had one of these, and I had Yosemite National Park. And so I would be like, oh, oh, ah. I want to, I want to touch that. I want to be there. Do you remember that? You can see, you can see things in places you've never known even existed, and you're like, oh, I... How awesome would it be to visit there someday? I want to be like that, or I want to go do that. And that's what the viewfinder gave you. It gave you a view of not what you have in front of you, but a view of what's possible out there. And in this case, we're talking about, it gives us a view of better days ahead. More specifically, the Bible is going to be our viewfinder over the next several months as we look into it and through it to see that the good days are not here in the temporal and the physical. That's not where our hope is. Our hope lies in what's to come. Our hope lies in what's out ahead of us. Our hope lies in what we've not seen yet. And that's what the whole book is about. Let me put it this way. Hope is not, okay, it's not the confident expectation of better days tomorrow. You understand that? You get that? Does that make sense to you? See, it, it, our hope is not in that tomorrow's gonna be better. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar, right? Is it true the sun will come out tomorrow? Yeah, but maybe not on you. And there's no guarantee of that. There's hope for that, right? That's not what we're talking about because what we're going to see over the next couple of months is that our greatest hope doesn't live in the answer to when, Lord. Because we don't know exactly when God's going to keep the promises, all the promises that he's made to us and to his children in his word. We're going to explore that our hope isn't in the how either. Because I don't know how God's going to make all things right and new. I just know he's going to because he said he would. And so... 
We don't know how or when he's going to balance the books of justice in the world. So here it is. Hope is not in the when, the how, or the where. Hope is in the who. And the hope is in the soon return of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be working on. That's the backdrop to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you're ready, let's jump into how to identify a faithful, healthy church, okay? And we're going to start it today with just one point, and then I'll finish this part um, next week as we come together, okay? You ready? All right, truth number one, an identifier of a faithful, healthy church is that it will have a ministry that is continuous. It will have a ministry that is continuous. Look at verse number two of 1 Thessalonians 1. We, this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. And as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what they're saying is that we, we think about you all the time. We're praying for you. We're concerned about you. We thank God for you. And when we pray, some of your Bibles may, might say, it comes to our remembrance that you're faithful in your work and that you're laboring in love and that you're enduring in your hope. We think about how faithful you are. I can relate to that because it's such a privilege to be one of your pastors and to serve you. Um, and you just need to know that we have, we have paid pastors and we have lay pastors. We call them elders. It's the same thing in the scripture. But we have an elder council that loves you. And we are so thankful for you. We're thankful all the time that God, you'll hear us pray all this all the time, that thank you, Lord, for calling us to this congregation, for giving these people to us and to entrust their care to our hearts. And we love you, and we care about you. And you need to know that the prayer is a top priority for us. We start every week, Monday morning, the, the elders gather together, and we pray for you. And we, when we pray for you, we're constantly praising God for you, and we're praising the, the way the Lord is working in you, and we rejoice in the things that you're rejoicing in that you share with us, and the victories that you have in your life, and the special days that you have in your family but the majority of our time is spent brokenhearted and weeping with you over the things that you're going through and the things that you share with us and the, the heartbreak and the, um, the struggles that you're having and the health issues that you're having and the financial issues that you're having. And you're sharing those things with us and we enter into that with you and we just want you to know that we take it seriously that when we pray, we release something here in the physical that releases God and the Holy Spirit to do something on our behalf in the heavenly and where he prays according to the will of God for you as we pour our hearts out to you. But it's, also, it's awesome, isn't it guys, as we pray together? We always, as we pray, we remember you guys. Just like they were saying here. As we're praying for you, the Holy Spirit will remind us of how faithful you are. And though Paul and Silas are saying here, and Timothy are saying, as we pray, it comes to our remembrance how faithful you guys are working and how much you're laboring in love and how awesome that is. That is the sign in their minds of a faithful church identifying the faithful, healthy church that is there being started in First Thessalonians. They had, if you're doing your notes, a faith and a love that works. 
And what he's saying is that we know your faith is real and genuine because you're busy working for the kingdom. That's what they're saying. That's what they're communicating here. How do you know if someone is in Christ? How do you know if someone has a genuine faith? Um, You and I can't see the new birth happen, right? We know that we're born again whenever we accept Christ as our Savior, but you can't physically see that necessarily. You can't put your finger on the new creation that is created in Christ Jesus. You can't hear God declare someone righteous except we know that whenever you are saved, he declares us righteous, but you don't hear a voice and saying, I just declared John righteous. You don't hear that. We don't don't hear God say that. So how can you identify a truly born-again believer? The scripture is clear. Jesus was actually clear. You'll know them by their works. You'll know them by their fruit. Does that make sense to you? You'll know them because they're shining their light. You'll know them. The script, Jesus says, you know how the whole world will know that you follow me? Anybody want to launch out there with it? Because of your love for one another. Not necessarily your work out in the community. He says, here's how the whole world will know that you're my disciples because of your great love that you have for one another. And yet we're called to be good to all men. We're called to take the gospel out. We're called to live as light according to the light that is in each one of us. That's how you know who a genuine believer is. It's by your fruit that you will know him. Righteous behavior is inevitably produced in those who have authentic, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. It's just that you can't help yourself. You now have the Holy Spirit of God and you're so excited about your new faith. You're excited about this whole thing. The Holy Spirit is prompting you because it's real and you can certainly feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and his leading in your life. And so you're like, let's get to work. It's not like I said earlier. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve Jesus. If that's your attitude, or I'm tired of serving Jesus, you need to check whether you're really a believer or not. See, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they went and preached the gospel. These people got saved, but they didn't spend like five years training them on how to be happy Christians serving Jesus. And yet they're being commended. He's saying, you know what, guys? We're so thankful for you. And when we pray for you, what comes to our mind is that you're working hard for Jesus and you're laboring hard in love. That's evidence of your true salvation in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation, and the way we know it is because you're working in your faith. Your faith is real because it's working. And you're laboring in love with all those around you. I look at our church and I've seen the same evidence of truly born again people at work and it blesses my heart just like it blesses Paul's. It's truly inspiring to see God's people happily serving. You know, like willfully and happily serving and working through loving kindness and acts of mercy and exercising their spiritual gifts and teaching and nurturing and training and building each other up and helping and ministering at every level. It's truly inspiring as your, peop- as your pastor to see people happily at work for the kingdom. 
You know what's awesome? Our pastoral team, our paid pastoral team, is getting smaller and smaller over the years, not bigger and bigger over the years. 26 years ago, when I joined the pastoral team at First Baptist Church, we had 10 paid pastors. Today we have five. Do you know why? Not because we're saving money, not because we're trying to save money. It's because the people are doing the work of the ministry and when more and more people are happily serving and they're showing their faith by their works and they're laboring in love, you don't have the need for more paid pastors. Hallelujah! That's good news, my friends, because our mission, the mission of the church not just First Baptist, the mission of the church is to equip believers to love God, to love people, and to penetrate our world or influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. What I'm doing right now is an equipping ministry to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's what pastors are called to do. All of our ministries here are to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And it's happening at greater and greater levels. In fact, we did this experiment several years ago. Some of you weren't even here for this. We did an experiment called lay-led ministries. And we weren't clever enough to call it anything clever except lay-led ministries. And all that means is that we decided instead of church programming, you know what that mean by that? Like, like ministry programs in the church being led by a paid staff member, we're just gonna let lay people unpaid people do the work of the ministry. Yeah, well, you guys are lazy. You think it's because we're lazy and we didn't want to have paid pastors do the work, so we want you guys to do the work because we don't want to do the work? If so, you're wrong, okay? I mean, we're, we're living our lives to do the work, and we love you because, and that's why we're doing the work, but our work is to equip you to do the work. And so here's how it used to go. It used to go, hey, pastor, we got an idea, Okay, what's your idea? We think we need to start like a, a road warrior motorcycle club. And what the church would do is, that's a great idea. How many road warriors do we have? We got like 50 road warriors in the church. Awesome. And then we go hire a road warrior pastor to do road warrior ministry. Prove me wrong, but that's how it used to be. You know what's happening now? Now we've said, wait a minute. So Charlie comes up and says, Pastor, I'm like, what? We want a road warrior ministry. Awesome, Charlie. How do you want to do it? What do you mean? How do you want to do it? How do you want to do it? Let's get you started, man. The Lord's laid this on your heart. You're a road warrior. You know the road warriors. Get out there and start the road warrior ministry. Seriously? That's what we get. Seriously? I can do that? Yes, you can do that. You've got the same Holy Spirit I have. You've got the same power at work in you than I have. You have the same gifting that I have. Get out there and use your gift and serve. And if Jesus is in it, it will work. Amen. Right? Amen. <laughs> and if he's not, we don't have to shut down a ministry and fire a pastor. You know how awesome it has been, you guys? I mean, we have people that are like, I want to teach men. I want to teach men about this specific part of their life. And we're like, great, how do you want to do it? Here's how I'd like to do it. And we got men teaching men 
on a regular basis. We got women teaching women on a regular basis. We've got people with the gift of softball. I don't know if that's a gift or not, but they're like leading. You saw it. We could have Iron Man Softball League. We got men coming together and playing softball all around the area here. We got Road Warrior Ministry. We've got people who are like, you know what? I like to work with my hands. And I don't like to work with my mouth so much. I like to work with my hands. And so we've got a whole crew of people that just find out whether there's, there's ministry opportunity in somebody's house that needs a, a shingles put on their roof or they need their toilet fixed or they need their sink fixed. And they're just jumping in and they're making it happen. And you don't even know it's happening, but it's happening all the time. Ministry is happening. We got people that like just love the word of God and they're like, you know, I just love to work with people. I want to get down in the ditch with somebody and I want to help them with the word of God and I want to help bring them out. I want to counsel them with the word of God out of that ditch and give them victory like I have victory in my life. And we've got laymen, laymen and laywomen who are going to training to learn how to use the Bible to biblically counsel people out of the ditch. How awesome is that? Hey. Can I say this? The great thing is that we aren't up here having to crack the whip on you and put you into some kind of legalistic stronghold to get the work done of the ministry. You love to work for Jesus. That's a sign of a faithful, healthy church. And it is the key to a ministry that will continue. Let's keep on going, okay? Because here's another one. They had a hope that endured. Second part of verse three, we see the enduring hope you have because of Jesus. That word endure is a great Greek translation of the word. It means to patiently endure and to persevere. Get this now, write this down somewhere. To persevere underneath the stress, underneath the pressure. That's what this endurance means. It's to hold up underneath the pressure of your circumstance today, and they were doing it because of the hope they had of, in Jesus Christ. Literally to have the staying power to stay under the stress of the ministry. We're gonna explore later that this church underwent severe persecution right out of the chute. So here they are, these brand new Christians. Can you, can you imagine? In a land that's never heard the gospel, you're the first Christians and you're new believers, and immediately you suffer persecution, severe persecution. But listen to me. What makes a faithful, healthy church isn't the lack of trials and stress. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's the ability to hold on to our faith and continue to endure and persevere in the midst of those trials that produce a faithful, healthy church. It was their ability to stand and not defect in the face of the enemy. Here they are, brand new Christians. What would be the temptation? No, I'm not Christian. You know, Peter even did that, right? Peter's like, I don't know Jesus. As soon as the pressure was turned up and the heat was turned up, he denied Jesus. But that's not what a healthy, faithful church does. It's their ability to keep moving forward and not go into a stall when the pressure comes and to be able to thrive and flourish and not wilt and shrink back when the heat is turned up. They had a hope that endured and he's talking about, and we're gonna explore this more as we get into it, but he's talking about eternity here. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we work in light of eternity, not in the light of this present world. We 
Labor in the light of our future glory, not in the shadows of this earth. Um, It wasn't their lack of trouble that sustained them. It was their eternal perspective and hope in the future of Christ. We're going to work on that more in the weeks to come. So... I'm in a time crisis right now, so I'm looking at what I should do, but. (laughs) You all right? (laughs) All in favor of letting me go over, raise your hand. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyway. (laughs) Uh, Let me just ask you this, okay? Um, Let me just, I'm trying to condense here. Has your life gone the way you thought it was going to go? You know, um, you make your plans, you know, like, I know exactly what my life is going to be like. You know, you're 18 years old and you got everything figured out. You know you're going to marry the prom queen and you're going to, you know, you're going to have only two kids because you don't want to have an odd number on the roller coasters of spring break and that kind of stuff. You know, you, you have everything planned out exactly how it's going to go. You know how much money you're going to make. You know the job that you're going to do and everything else. But the problem is it very rarely, if ever, goes the way that we planned. And it's hard when that happens because it's like it totally shocks your system and it, it downshifts your whole mindset and you're like, how am I going to do this? The same thing happens in churches. In the life of a church, the same thing happens. Um, we've not been void of trials here in this church. We've struggled through some pretty tough things as a church, just, just in the 26 years that Robin and I have been here, we've had to pay some pretty heavy prices as a church body to stand for truth and righteousness in our world. We've had to pay our share um, of trials and heartache that have come from within, which is very heartbreaking, and come from without. Um, and I hate to say this, okay, because it's like, Phil, why do you always have to go here? But we know that it's not going to get better. We know that we still have some hard times in the future. Yes, God has been faithful. And he's going to be faithful. But that doesn't mean, faithfulness doesn't mean we're not going to experience hard things. And we have some hard things we're going to have to face in the future. But when they do, right, you, you agree, because we know the devil's schemes, and we know he's coming after the church. And when he does, we're not going to shrink back, are we? We're not going to, like, question God and abandon our faith. And what we're going to be, if we're a faithful, healthy church, we're going to be like the Thessalonians, and we will endure whatever comes that this life brings to us, Because we're not looking to this life, we're looking to the things to come and know that God in his faithfulness is going to sustain us and help us endure underneath all the pressure that's coming our way. We're not going to abandon anything. We are willing to suffer anything because we anticipate the things that God has stored up for those who love him, and we want to be like Paul. Look at Romans 8, 18. I'm gonna have on the screen where he says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. 
For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, that's awesome. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Anybody want to say amen? Amen. Amen. We too wait for the eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved, and here's the definition of hope right here for us. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we wait patiently and, here's the word, confidently. This is the enduring hope. And this kind of enduring hope will sustain a church for the long haul. The sign of a healthy church are people that will work hard at their faith and labor in love and endure in hope. And that will give you a ministry that will continue. This church, First Baptist, through all of the years from its humble beginning, get this, this started in July 23rd. You ready? 1860. Yeah, that's 160 years ago. They started down on 3rd and Lexington, downtown Elkhart, with only three members. And I just want to say, for 160 years, this church has remained steadfast, never wavering off of God and his word, no matter what the trials, no matter what the suffering, with a faith that works, a hope that endures, and a ministry as a result that is continuous because of their faithful work. Aren't you glad, you guys, you understand the heritage that we have in this church of faithfulness. You don't, you don't have the health and strength we have today Without the faithful work, the loving, enduring hope of a church that puts Christ first and his word first and never comes off of that. I'm telling you, we're a whole different church now than we were back then. We're totally different. You want to see? You, you got some more time in you, a little bit of time? You want to reminisce and go down memory lane a little bit? I found some pictures. I have some things to show you from way back in, like 160 years ago. Okay, here's a picture of the early church gathering downtown in Elkhart in the church down on 3rd and Lexington. That's a early, that, those are the early believers that started this church. Praise the Lord for them. Here are four church leaders. I don't know exactly if they're all pastors. We're gonna talk about our heritage of pastors uh, next week, um, but... I don't know if these are all pastors, but they're all church leaders. We know that because of the um, inscription on the, on the thing. Here's another thing. They had Sunday school. Um, and it, I don't know if they like had the kids in a house across the street or something, but here's you know, Deacon Joe out in the middle directing traffic while the kids come across um, the street. Here's, uh, what's the next picture I think we got? Oh, I had to show you this picture. This is how they took the offering. Look at that. The guys are carrying like a garbage can behind the plates. Do you see that? 
And I think that's the pastor standing there overseeing the whole thing. So they're, they're passing the place and it looks like they're dumping. I don't know what's going on, but I just thought that was an interesting thing. All right, so that all was going on and in 1860 is when it started. In 1962, okay, 102 years later, they broke ground on the corner of Prairie and Hively, and, and in 1963, they dedicated this circular auditorium. Many of you maybe have been in that. Um, that was a very unique church for that day, and um, there it is, empty. Here it is full, and these were some really special days in the history of First Baptist Church. These were the days of the bus ministry. Anybody remember the bus ministry? And we would bus in like 300 children from the area into church and into, I mean, talk about a children's ministry. We had it back then. Um, but some really great days of the church back on Hively um, and Prairie Street. I think we have a picture of the choir. Here's a picture of the choir um, back then. Uh, very interesting if you take a look, only 13 of those people don't have glasses on. <laughs> I don't know why that stood out to me, but I was like, man, they didn't have contacts back then. That's obvious, okay? And then um, here we go. 32 years later, this guy shows up. And uh, some of you can see and find yourself up there in the choir, a, a, a much younger version of yourselves up there in the choir. And um, you know what, when we came, when I came, the choir had mauve robes. And um, we were like, we gotta get rid of the mauve. And so um, there is a church in Africa actually right now that is wearing our robes. Um, I don't know what happened to these, I can't remember what we did um, with those. But here's a picture of Pastor Blodgett, because he was here 21 years he ministered as our lead pastor. And um, that's a communion service that we had, that was the, communion table, but it was also the baptistry tank. That baptistry tank was on an elevator that went down into the basement. You got into it, and then you rode the elevator up uh, for baptisms. And um, uh, Dean Christner caught that on fire one year, and um, they blame it on me. They try to blame it on me, but it was not me. It was Dean Christner who actually... Um, great stuff that the Lord did there. And then um, we were there for 41 years at that building, and then... Um, in 2004, we broke ground here um, in County Road 17. Now, I have some pictures of the groundbreaking in 1962 um, out there on Prairie and Hively, and here's the church congregation gathering together. That's what it looked like that day before they erected a building. And then um, here's our groundbreaking out here on 17, and then here's a picture of our group that all came together. And um, here we are today. We actually completed this building in July of 2005. Here we are today. And listen to me. Look at me now. Continuing in ministry. What is the sign? How do you identify a faithful, healthy church? Because it has a ministry that continues. Thank God that he has given us leadership, that he has given us people that have always, no matter how we've changed, no matter what methods we're using today that we weren't using then, have always kept God and his word at the forefront and at the foundation of everything. Everything has been built on this and it will continue to be. And if we continue in our faithful work, in our labor of love and enduring in hope, we will continue. See, we have a future, my friends. It would be a mistake to sing songs like, God was so good, God was so good. Now see, that's not the right way to sing that song. 
It's God is so good. And he was faithful yesterday, today, and he will be faithful tomorrow. And we have a future, my friends. God has a future for this church. We're not just like, hey, wasn't that awesome back there? We can just sit back and cruise now. That's not his plan for us as a church. In fact, that breaks the heart of a pastor to have people say, you know what? I don't need to work anymore. You want to break a pastor's heart and have them really start praying for you? Just take that position. That's not what God's people do. And I'm so excited about what's to come. I'm going to invite our elders. uh, Half of our elder council, come on up, guys. Half of our elder council is on spring break right now. And so um, you get us. We have 13 men on our elder council. And so the reason I'm asking them to come up here um, and to stand here, I don't know where Matt is. Matt's off somewhere, but um, I want you to see the men that love you and that are giving, they love you so much that they're willing to share their lives with you. Here he comes. These men are not playing around with the church of Jesus Christ and you, the flock that God has entrusted to us. We take it seriously. And I just want to end with this from all of us to all of you. We always thank God for all of you and we pray for you constantly. And as we pray to our God and Father about you, We think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are very dear to our hearts, and we are inspired as we work with you and for you. We're inspired by your faithful acts of service and your enduring love and your enduring hope. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm asking Carl, the chairman of our elder council, to just pray a blessing over you as we go today. Father, thank you for blessing this church for 160 years. Thank you for all the the people over those years who have served well to make FBC the church that it is today. God, we look forward to what you're going to do in the future. And we're grateful for these people that are in this room and those that are a part of our church that that aren't in this building. God, we're grateful for their service. We love them. We count it a privilege that we can rejoice with them when they rejoice. And we view it as a solemn responsibility to weep with them when they weep. So I pray, Father, that you would continue to bless FBC, that you would bless these people and bring, uh, bring them great, great blessings in their lives and allow them to continue serving and to be challenged to serve you faithfully until Jesus comes. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends. Go encourage today and encourage someone else on your way out. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining our worship service today. 
Our prayer is that God is using the worship and the message to inspire you to love him, love people, and influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or would like somebody to pray with you, you can let us know by clicking the connection card link. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app where we post upcoming events and announcements, and you can share this week's message with a friend. You can also check out our website at fbclcart.org to stay connected with us. God bless. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.